0: Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. A community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, I'm, uh, I'm excited as we continue in this Immerse series. And I hope, I hope you found an Immerse group. And I hope that you're, you're taking advantage of the readings. And if you haven't done it yet, it's not too late to read the Bible. To go through, we have uh, handouts there. On the church center app that I talked about, there's ways that you can engage with that. But be sure to be reading. And let me say this. Sometimes people, they feel a little overwhelmed by the Old Testament because there's a lot in there. What I love about the Bible is that uh, there are no secrets in God's kingdom. As a matter of fact, there are no secrets. Everything comes out. But let me encourage you as it relates to the Old Testament to dig deep and to dive in. And as we engage today, I thought, how appropriate on Pentecost Sunday that we come up on one of my favorite accounts. And this is the account of the prophet Elijah. I love Elijah. I've done a lot of study. I've read a lot of things through, and there's a lot of things we can do. But as we look at Elijah, we we recognize that he's a prophet. And for those of you that the word prophet may be new to you, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet's primary function was to serve as God's ambassador. The prophets were seen as these were people who spoke for God. They spoke for God. They communicated God's word to his people. And true prophets, they never spoke on their own authority, and they they weren't about sharing personal opinions because there was a weight, there was a calling, there was anointing on their life to speak for God. But rather, they delivered the message that God had himself. So if you saw a prophet coming, you were hoping, please let this be good news. (laughs) Please let this be an encouragement. Let this be a word that's coming in. And this week in our reading, as we've gone through, in 1 Kings chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. The prophet Elijah, without any introduction, just shows up on the scene and announces judgment on who the Bible refers to as the most corrupt king ever. How's that for a title? Elijah shows up, unannounced, to bring judgment on what the Bible refers to as the most corrupt king ever. And this, of course, is King Ahab. And this 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 is uh, spoken in 1 Kings chapter 16 verses 30 to 33. Here it says Ahab son of Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord the God of Israel than did all the kings before him. Now why was King Ahab given this title well, King Ahab, he was given this title because instead of being a godly king, a righteous king that led people in serving the one true God, he actually misled the people in worshiping Baal. See, Baal, which, which means Lord, was worshiped in ancient Canaan and Phoenicia. And Baal was, was worshiped as the fertility god, both for the earth, for like the crops to grow. So, so the surrounding nations would worship Baal as a as fertility god to help their crops grow, but also and fertility for wanting to have children. And, and Baal worship was so corrupt that it was even rooted in sensuality and involved ritualistic prostitution in the temples. Baal was so terrible that in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, he calls it out, and he links it directly to Satan when he calls, uh, when he calls Satan Beelzebub. And so now here in 1 Kings chapter 17, the prophet Elijah shows up, and he stands in front of Ahab, the most corrupt king ever, and he announces this judgment. 1 Kings chapter 17, 1, here's the judgment. It says, Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, if someone showed up today and said, there's not going to be any more rain, you'd be like, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm ready for summer to come on. Well, that's because we can just go to Fred Meyer or Safeway, or we can go to the Edmonds Market, and we can, we can get all the produce that we want. It's all there. It's all provided for. But in this day, the rain was very critical to them. And taking into account the false god they were serving, a Baal, who's supposed to provide all these things. This was like a direct affront to Baal. And then the Lord, he leads Elijah away to a stream where he provides for him, and he even uses ravens not to, ravens to bring him food. Ravens aren't my favorite bird. I respect all creatures, but um, ravens, the Lord has to work with me on that because of what they they do to my garden. So I'm like, Elijah's not here. You don't need to take any more food, okay? You're all all good. So then three years later, Elijah shows up for one of the greatest throwdowns in the Bible. And he shows up, and it says, Elijah, he calls for the king, all of Israel— and and the, and Ahab's prophets 450 from Baal 400 uh, Shera 850 prophets and he calls them these false prophets this most corrupt king ever in all of Israel to join him on Mount Carmel, and he sets up a contest, and this is awesome. There's some, so much here, and he says in First Kings, here's the contest that Elijah sets up. He says, all right, let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. This is the way. So we're walking through and we see this, this great throwdown. And so Elijah even says, Baal, the prophets of Baal, you can go first. So the prophets of Baal go first, they took the bull that was given to them, they prepared it, they called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon, and nothing, no response. And I love Elijah. If you don't think prophets are funny, I mean, just look at Elijah's response here. And I've I've read this many times, and every time I laugh, and I say, God, is it okay to laugh? And I believe he would say, yes, it is. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself. You know what relieving is? <laughs> or maybe your god's on a journey, or maybe your god's asleep and he must be awakened. Do you hear this mocking? Hey, maybe your god's going to the bathroom. Maybe your god's just on a journey. Speak louder, speak louder. Where's your god? You've been going until noon. The prophets of Baal step it up. They do not give in to the mocking. They step it up, and it says in verse 28 that they cried even louder. They cry loud, and they start cutting themselves, which is part of their custom. They start cutting themselves after their custom with swords and with lances until blood gushed out of them, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. 850 prophets going through this. Then it's Elijah's turn. What did Elijah do? The first thing he did He prepared the altar. He prepared the altar for the one true God. And he makes a trench around it, and he puts the wood and the sacrifice on it, but then he does something else just to prove. He then pours water over the offering and the wood. Three times with four jars. What's three times four? Wow. I didn't think that was a tough question. What's three times four? Twelve. There we go. Wow. It's finals week coming up. Okay. All right, four times three is 12. Twelve jars of water poured over the sacrifice, poured over the wood in the trench. Twelve is significant, one for each of the tribes. And then Elijah prays this prayer. And he prays this powerful prayer. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. This prayer, it moves me so much. It's it's difficult for me to even get through it because I hear the sincerity, and I think about how Elijah shows up on the scene. He's confronting the most evil king ever, and that his heart is for the people of Israel, seeing what they're going through. He says, "Let it be known this day that you are God." You know how many times I've prayed that in communities and situations I've walked through. God, let it be known that you are God. And let it be known that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. He's saying, let it be known that I've done this in obedience to you. And he says, answer me, O Lord. Answer me. Why? That this people may know that you, O Lord, you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. You've turned their hearts back. That's a prayer that we pray every week here. Let the world know that you are God. Let them know that I'm your servant. And God, let people know that that I've heard your voice and I'm responding in obedience to this. And the response, unlike the false gods, God shows up. And look what it says in verse 38. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed. This is not a figurative fire. This is a literal fire of God fell. And it consumed the burnt offering and the wood. Now remember, this was all soaked with 12 big jugs of water. Okay, These aren't like Grandes from Starbucks. These are big jugs that they poured over 12 that filled a trench. And it consumed the burnt offering. And it consumed the wood and the stones. And it consumed the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said this, The Lord, he is God. And they said it again, The Lord, he is God. And as a result, the prophets of Baal are seized, and they're slaughtered, they're destroyed. And then God sends the rain. And they're saying, Hallelujah, the drought is over. Now, there's so much more that happens out of this. So much more that we could go into But suffice it to say, for at this point, the drought is over. The people have witnessed the glory of God, and the false prophets have been removed. But I want to pause there on this Pentecost Sunday because as I prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, what is the thing that that you would pull into my spirit as I look at this account of Elijah? And there was one word that just it popped out at me. And it's that word confidence. Everyone say confidence. Confidence. You didn't say it very confidently. There you go. Confidence. See, Elijah, he had confidence in who God was, but he also had confidence in his ability to clearly hear God's voice. Think about that. He had confidence in who God was, okay? That was the beginning point for me, right? I, I, I grew up with some wonderful, loving people, not perfect people, but wonderful people. And there was a confidence in that there was a real God, He's alive. So many things that God's done in my life, so many things that I've seen. But there's also a confidence that he had in his ability to hear the voice of God. See, as we look at this word confidence, I think it's important to recognize that when Elijah was responding, he was responding to God. And it's easy for us to say, well, he was a prophet. There's all these things happening. Of course he responded in a confidence. But when you further and you read further into this account, you see that Elijah, he had what Celebrate Recovery would call a lot of hurts, habits, and hang-ups in his life. How many of you, you got hurts, habits, and hang-ups going on in your life? Right, we all do. We all have that. See, when we read on, when we read further, we see that Elijah, he often felt that he was alone. And in 1 Kings 19, he even confessed to God that I'm the only one who's still serving God. It wasn't true, and God addressed that in his life, but have you ever felt like you were the only one serving the Lord? That in a situation you're in, like, God, I'm the only one who cares, no one else cares. See, loneliness, we live in one of the most lonely cities, but even, and what that means oftentimes is that when we step out for the Lord, we often find ourselves in that place where we feel isolated, where we feel alone. We feel like no one else cares. I'm, I'm a fish going upstream. See, Elijah, he wasn't responding because of all the stuff that was going around him, right? Or because he, he was encouraged because there were people coming in or Elijah was responding because Elijah had confidence in who God was and his ability to clearly hear God's voice. See, when we have confidence in who God is and when we have confidence in our ability to hear God's voice, there is nothing that can stop us because now we are operating in the power that God has afforded to us. See, our confidence and our commitment to God and to hear his voice, it positions us to be used in powerful ways for his purpose and for his glory in the world, but we need that confidence. That's why the enemy will work tirelessly to confuse you. The enemy will work tirelessly to shake you up. Because if he can shake your confidence in knowing knowing and hearing the voice of God, he knows that he has you. His wish is that every Christian would go into hiding and just pull back. And he does that by shaking our confidence. He would like nothing better than to see us be a bunch of insecure Christians. Right? Right? But that's why Pentecost is so important. See, today, we sit on Pentecost Sunday. All over the world today, Christians are celebrating what many theologians describe as the beginning of the Christian church. as Pentecost Sunday. See, originally, Pentecost was a Jewish celebration, and it was the second of three of the annual harvest festivals. And it was one of three of the Old Testament pilgrimage festivals where, where people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. These were celebration events. And it was during this celebration that Jesus tells his disciples to gather together and pray. It says in Acts 1, verses 4 to 5, it says this. It says, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? Wait. How many enjoy being told you need to wait? (laughs) Don't go now. Wait. Not even my dog enjoys that word. Stay, But he said, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so the disciples and many followers, as the Bible says about 120 men and women, they gathered together to pray in the upper room in obedience to what Jesus had told them. And then in Acts 2, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, we read this earlier for our call to worship. It said that they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And in the middle of all this, and I'm going to be doing, again, I'm going to be doing a three-week series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be unpacking a lot of this stuff, okay? So hang with me here. But for today, here's what I want you to see. In the middle of this, in a city filled with people from all over, right? They're all coming in together for this big celebration a very unlikely candidate stands up. He's not unlikely to us because we know a lot about him. But in that moment, a very unlikely candidate stands up and delivers one of the most powerful sermons. Over 3,000 people give their life to Christ. How many of you, you've gotten up and preached a sermon and over 3,000 people give their life to Christ? One person gives their life and I'm like, thank you God. And all of this heaven celebrates over one person. On this day, Unlucky candidate stands up. Over 3,000 people surrender their lives. They're baptized, and they follow Jesus. Who am I talking about? Peter. I'm talking about Peter. Now, we love Peter because we know the end of the story. We know how it turns out. But when we look at Peter, do you remember? He was the one who tried to stop Jesus from giving his life. When they came to take him, what did Peter do? "I'll, I'll protect you, Jesus. And he pulls a sword, and he cuts off the ear of a soldier. Does Jesus need our protection? Does Jesus need our protection? No. So he tells Peter, Put away your sword. He heals, he heals it, and he says, What are you doing? What are you doing? And then later, we see Peter now denying Jesus three times. Jesus even warned him about it. And this little servant girl comes up, and he doesn't even have enough confidence to stand up to a little servant girl. Denies him three times. So what brought the change from somebody who was running in fear, hiding, trying to do things his own way, to standing up in the middle of everybody, to boldly proclaim? What brought this great change? What moved him from fear and retreat to this boldness, to this confidence, even later giving his life up for Christ? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit so radically changed Peter that he moved from fear from trying to do things his own way, which you know that's a fear response, right? That if you often see somebody trying to control things, that's often the most scared person in the room. (laughs) Comes up in marital counseling all the time. (laughs) Right? It's a fear response that you're like, I'll just take this into my own hands. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. See, after the resurrection of Jesus Jesus, he spent 40 days regathering his disciples and appearing to so many people, proving his power in the resurrection from the dead. But before returning to heaven, Jesus tells his disciples, again, he says, Don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my Witnesses, everyone say witness, witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in this opening part, I'm going to move through it very, very quickly. But Luke identifies several things here in Acts 1 that Jesus does to prepare his disciples for the greatest mission in the history of the world. And it's the mission that is still in play today, and it's the mission that God is inviting you to. So I invite you to lean in. Don't miss what the Lord would say to us on this Pentecost Sunday. See, the first thing that Jesus provides in this is proof that Jesus is alive. Proof that Jesus is alive. The passage begins with Luke. He's pointing this out. You may ask, well, why why is this significant? See, we forget that Jesus has the power to bring things back to life. We tend to operate from a, a, a perspective of survival. Some of the biggest shows on Discovery Network are survival shows. We love watching them. We watch them on YouTube. We watch them everywhere. But often, this is the way that we operate. We operate from a survival mentality where we're afraid that things are going to die. We're afraid that our dreams are going to die, that opportunities are going to die, our relationships, our provision is going to die around us. And sadly, we're so filled with fear that we will often do anything just to keep these things going. just like We'll just hold on to them. But sometimes there are things that need to be let go of so that new life can be brought to them. Amen? There's so many times that the Lord's saying, just let go of it. You know, for me, you've heard me share my testimony of, of me being called to leave Seattle. You know I have hockey tears? I had a whole arena of hockey tears the first time that I left Seattle, and I went over the pass. So much the person driving the truck, he's like, Pastor Dwayne, we can turn the truck around right now. But I knew the Lord was leading me. But it was hard for me to say goodbye to Seattle. Eight years later, the Lord brought me back, and I'm so glad. And that's a whole story. The Lord has moved has called us, my wife and I, to let go of the dream of having children. We, we struggled with infertility for eight years. Eight years filled with a lot of bad advice and a lot of people trying to tell me how to have kids. And they would often do it just before I get ready to lead worship. It's weird. But if you're weird, you're welcome here today. (laughs) We all have our own weirdness, amen? I've had to let go of friendships. I've had to let go of ministry opportunities, things I felt, God, you're calling me to, and now you're calling me to do something different. What's happening? See, sometimes we're so afraid that something will die that we will work overtime and sacrifice everything to keep it alive, because we think once it's dead, it's gone. Once he's called us to leave a place, it's gone forever. Jesus was reminding them that just because Something is dead, it doesn't mean it's over. He's saying, I have power over life, and power over death. You think it's dead? It's not dead. What do you say about Lazarus? He's just asleep. Lazarus was, the Bible said he was his dear friend. This was somebody that Jesus cared about. And when the word came, when they reached out, you know, Lazarus is sick, he's dying, but we know Jesus. They called on Jesus, expecting that he would drop everything and run and come in and save the day. Jesus He didn't drop everything. He didn't run. He wasn't in a hurry. He kept doing it. And he loved him. But he knew that this was an opportunity to reveal to everyone who Jesus was. And it was an opportunity for the disciples and for the family to learn that we do not fear anything, even death. Because with God, death is not the end. Death is not the end. So Jesus, he proves he's alive. He proves that he has power over death But next, Jesus brings mission focus. Jesus brings mission focus because this is is a key area where the enemy tries to distract us. Because even in that moment, they asked him, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this all about just restoring our nation today? Is this all about this? See, the disciples, they were still focused on their kingdom, on their nation, and it's a noble focus. It's one that God had established. Is one that God had brought together to reveal his plan, to reveal his purpose. But God's plan was not limited just to Israel. See, the purpose was greater than this. It was to reveal God to the entire world. And I think that our biggest challenge is that when we dream small, we tend to only focus on our little world. And as long as our little world is okay, then everything's fine. God is on the move. But there's times that God will strip things down in order to build things up. That's the work God's doing in my life right now. I was praying this morning, and I have prayer partners. I'm like, I feel like God's stripping me down in order to just rebuild in a lot of areas of my life. Is it painful? Yes. Does it stink? Yes. I don't like it. As my son Riley, who's getting married this month, used to say when he was two, no like it, no. I pray that a lot. But we lean in. Because God is out to expand us beyond what we can do, and to see what he would do in and through our lives. See, God's plan is clear. God's plan is that the entire world would come to know him. The entire world. That means the people you work with. That means the people in your family. That means the people in the city. That means your enemies. It means your enemies. It means people that you disagree with. Is there anybody in your life that disagrees with you? If there's not, I've got some good advice later. There are people that are going to disagree with you. And just because they disagree with you, it doesn't mean that they're your enemies, okay? I'm just saying as we walk forward and as we move forward, we need to recognize that as we move forward, God's plan is that everyone would come to know him. That's the plan. That's the mission. That's the world. That's the kingdom of God that we lean for. That's what we live for. We are servants of Jesus Christ. My identity is with Christ. Everything else is about loving God and loving my neighbor and everyone around us. That's why it says in 1 Timothy, he says, This is good and is pleasing in the sight of the Lord, of God our Savior, who desires that all people are to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And the Holy Spirit brings focus to this. Because when we are off track, the Holy Spirit is going to start convicting us. Not condemning, Satan condemns, the Holy Spirit convicts to bring us back on track. See, we often fall in the trap of we judge our own success by what is not going right in the world. By what's not going right, right? If things aren't going right around us, we're like, God, I'm failing. <laughs> that's why it's so important that you read the Bible. You see men and women who faithfully serve the Lord did everything right, but things didn't always go their way. And that's why we even have the words in the of, the words of Though they slay me, yet I will praise you. Paul and Silas in jail, we're going to worship you right now. (laughs) Even if my hands are in stocks, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to, whatever I can move, I'm going to move for the Lord. I'm going to move for the Lord. See, we need to remember that when we are about God's business, our business gets taken care of. Because the Lord loves you. Now, your business may not get taken care of the way that you wish it would. But God takes care of us. He always takes care of us. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Jesus said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. These are the thoughts of people who don't know God. But Jesus says, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Some of you need to close your eyes and receive that word right now. the Lord would save you in this moment, the Lord sees you, and he knows everything that you need. Everything you need, God sees you today, and he knows. And then verse 33 says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, maybe for you, you're not worried about enough food to eat. I'm actually dieting. I'm eating too much food. <laughs> right? So food is like, I actually need to have boundaries in my life to protect that area. But what are the things that you're relying on today? What are the things that you're leaning into? What are the things that you're asking God? God, where is it? What are the things that you're worried about? I want you to know that the Lord sees you, and then we have this promise that whatever you need, God will provide. See, if I have sought God, if I've surrendered my life to him, meaning that I'm actively following Christ, that's that living righteously, Lord, it's yours. Everything is yours. If God doesn't provide it, I don't need it. That's the conclusion I've come to. If I've surrendered, I've prayed, I've sought the Lord, and it's all there. If God doesn't provide it in my life for today, then I don't need it today. Lord, you are my provider. Easy to say, tough to live. See, proximity to God and his plan, that's where the power comes from in every area of life. It's that proximity, that closeness to God. See, when I walk in the presence of God, when I walk in the power of God, do you know who benefits from that? Everybody around me. When you walk in the presence of God, when you walk in the power of God, when you surrender your life and you're saying, God, if, if you haven't provided it, I don't need it. I'm trusting you. Everybody around you benefits from that. That's why I love some of the dear old saints that they get to this point in their life. And I've shared it before. During COVID, I call up and go, Man, how are you doing? Is everything okay? I know that you're, you, you can't leave the house. You need food, everything. And I'm like worried about them. They're like, Pastor, man, I'm fine. I'm fine. What do you, how are you? How can I pray for you? I call to pray for them. They turn it into a prayer meeting of uh, praying for me. Why? Because they're like, Oh, we've been through stuff before. <laughs> we've followed God all of our lives. God's going to take care of us. And if He takes me home, I'm with Jesus. I'm quoting words to you. This is not made-up stuff here. My mom and dad said that. They're like, yeah, no, we're we're fine. How are you? Are you okay? Kids okay? Everything all right? You, You sound worried to me. What's going on? I'm like, I'm calling to cheer you up. And they would cheer me up. Their walk with God, their presence in the Lord, their trust in the Lord washes over to me. So what does Jesus do? He proves He's alive, He refocuses them on mission. And then Jesus taught them the power in waiting. When Jesus said, wait for the promise. Everyone say wait. You got to say that because I know you don't. You you say wait to other people, but you're like, I I reject that word for myself. How many are like, I, I will confess to rejecting it in my life? See, God, he always prepares us before he sends us. See, Philippians 4 says, my God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. And God owns everything. He is rich. And everything that we need, he supplies. And this is something that popped out to me as I was praying with several people over the last couple of weeks. Here's what that means. When God says he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory, what that means is the greater the need in your life, the greater the supply that's going to come into your life. Think about that. The more that you need, now not want, I'm not gonna. am not saying that means I need an Xbox. I've never prayed that, by the way. <laughs> but when you lay out these needs to the Lord, the greater the need, the more He supplies. Now, this is not a prosperity message, because that provision has come in a lot of ways, and there's times that God has provided me for me in ways that were humbling. Because I, I would be like, well, God, just uh, you, know, you just give me the money, and I'll go and do it. But the Lord's saying, no, I'm going to do it step by step here. Sometimes it's come in food. Sometimes it's been a food drop. We hosted it. Sometimes it's been in somebody paying for a bill that I had to humble myself and say, yes, thank you. But everything I need, he provides. But in order to receive this, we need to wait. And waiting is the hardest thing to do. But sometimes waiting is the most important thing we can do. See, we want to get on the road. We want to get on with it. We're like, there's a destination. I'm going to go. But have you ever got on a road trip with somebody that it was very obvious that they didn't plan, that you wish they took just half an hour to sit down and plan things out? Okay, I'm not going to say point to them. <laughs> okay? But I think we've all, we've all been there, and I've got a ton of stories that we don't have time to go into. But see, God... There's times he's saying, "I want you to wait." See, there's times like we want to get on the road, we want to crank the radio, we want to get going. But every song is not a fast song. I love—I'm an '80s kid. I love fast songs. The more guitar with keyboard, the better for me. But not every song is a fast song. Not every problem is fixed with a hammer. You know the whole Addies, right? When the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem's a nail. (laughs) I mean, you're like, stop hitting me with your hammer. That's not how we solve it. See, waiting, it positions us for today, but it places us, It also places us in front of people that are already around you. There's times that the Lord's going to tell you to wait because there's somebody waiting right next to you. That he's saying, "Now, now that you're waiting, look at the person beside you. Look at what's happening around you. Don't miss those opportunities in line at the store, in the coffee house, in your home, wherever you are. We put so much reward and so much encouragement on action. Just take action. Just take action. And there's times Lord, Lord's saying, wait. So much damage has been done by people just doing something because they're afraid of doing nothing. And I get it. When you look around and you, you're hoping that people will respond. But people don't need your word. They need God's word. Because that's the only thing that will change this world that we're in. They need his ways, not your ways. And there's times that he's going to boldly call you, move now, go now. And God's done that in my life. But we need to also be receptive of that time when he's saying, wait. And not just waiting bored, but waiting on the Lord to renew our strength, to hear his voice, to be positioned for today. The last thing as we wrap this up today, we need to recognize that God's power in our life is connected to God's plan in our life. Sometimes we're not experiencing the power because God's saying, I'm not going to give you power for that. (laughs) I'm not going to empower you to hurt that person. I'm not going to empower you just to go out and act on your own will. See, Pentecost was about empowering us to be God's witness. And there's a big difference in informing somebody and witnessing to somebody. We lean a lot into informing. I'm on social media We can put a lot of information on social media and a lot of stuff's out there. God's calling us to be a witness. See, a witness is very different. Informing is very detached and it's very impersonal. I can inform you about stuff that I may not even care about. Right? I can be like Cliff Clavin. Anybody know what Cliff Clavin is? Has the appearance of knowing a lot of stuff? Did anybody listen to Cliff Clavin? That's an old sitcom you can Google and get some information on later. (laughs) No one listened to him. Always had an answer, it was always there. He was just, he was just trying to inform. I can inform of stuff that I, that I care very little about, may not even believe, not very attached to, but a witnessing, this is personal. See, when witnessing, this is a legal word, it's, it's one that is often used to refer to somebody who saw something firsthand, who experienced it firsthand. In fact, in a courtroom of law, a good lawyer. If they sense there's something false there, they will work to discredit the witness that they didn't see it, they weren't there, or there's a lie in their testimony, and then the entire testimony is thrown out. But reciprocally, when someone is standing and going, I know whom I have believed. As imperfect as I am, as imperfect as all y'all are, God's given us an opportunity to know him. I know God. I know your voice. I know you called me to Shoreline. I know you called me to Seattle. I know you called me to this place. And I'm not going to be fooled by the other voices. Have you ever experienced a difference when someone stood in front of you and you knew they weren't just informing you, but they were testifying? They were a witness to what God was doing in their life. Totally different. They can get information from Google. You're the only witness that they have. Don't be an informant. Be a witness. Live it. Try it. Test it. Walk through the pain. trusting the Lord. Wait on the Lord and renew your strength. That's why we say, and we've worked very hard on these words, that we're about becoming and making disciples of Jesus. We're not saying we're going to be, you know, we're not saying that we are perfect disciples now making Jesus. We're saying, no, they're they're hand in hand. As I'm walking with the Lord, come join me. Let's figure this out together. Let's walk together. Let's be in this together. Let's discover this together. Let's grow together. See, this is where we experience the power of Jesus in our life. And Jesus said this, as he was getting ready to ascend to heaven, he looked at them all, and he told them to go and to wait. And he said, look, I want you to wait. Don't leave. Don't miss it. Don't miss it, he said, because as you wait, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, you will be my what? Witnesses. Witnesses. You're not informing. You're going to live it. And you're going to tell it. And you're going to experience it. And he says, you're going to do it in Jerusalem right here. You're going to do it in Judea a little bit further. You're going to do it in Samaria. And you're going to go to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So as we take a moment to respond, and then we're going to do water baptism. have got four people I'm very excited about. So don't leave. <laughs> but I want you to ask yourself today, how would you rate your confidence? At, at the beginning of this, we talked about that word confidence. How would you rate your confidence in knowing and hearing God? voice of the Lord and this is between you and the Holy Spirit this Pentecost Sunday are you insecure in that are you, are you confident in that Or are there circumstances that are happening right now that are causing you to boy I don't know this is a great discipleship question because I'm not asking you do you believe I'm asking how, how is your confidence and then that second question if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, when we give our life to Christ, we are filled with with the Spirit of God. But this work that Jesus is talking about, that subsequent work, that empowering work, if you've never been filled, do you desire to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? And I know for some, there's a lot of baggage to that. But don't look at anyone else. Look full into the face of Jesus. Say, Jesus whatever you have for me, I want to receive today. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit today? And if you do, just ask. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me. Make me confident. Empower me to reach my loved ones. Empower me to hear your voice. Speak to me. The Holy Spirit empowers us. It encourages us. It comforts us when we're down. It enables us to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. It seals us. It reminds us, Whose we are, and empowers us for mission. Seek, and you will find. Invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Be active in God's purpose and His plan.